Welcome on in to Empower Talks. This is the podcast where we talk about careers with people across the insurance industry. Today, I'm delighted to invite to Empower Talks, Yasmin Carter-Esdell, who needs little introduction in the insurance market now. Yasmin is a development underwriter at Hiscox, partnerships lead at ICANN, a columnist for the CII, and also was named a rising star by the Insurance Business Magazine for 2022. The reason Yasmin needs little introduction is because she is fantastic at LinkedIn in particular, and also finding opportunities to share her experiences and build her brand across the insurance industry. Yasmin is also a huge advocate for making CII exams mandatory for insurance brokers. And we're going to talk about her reasons for that, as well as her top tips for building your presence on LinkedIn. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yasmin has such a contagious energy and enthusiasm for insurance. So I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode. I'm super excited about this particular episode today. We've got somebody who's very well known across the market, which is absolutely what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Yasmin Carter-Esdell, who is a development underwriter at Hiscox. Welcome in, Yasmin. Hi, Sam. Great to be here. Excellent. So let's start. We always start at the beginning, which is essentially your journey into insurance. And it's something you've shared a few times um, on LinkedIn, but we're going to dig into it a little bit, which is essentially you had an unusual entrance because you came in at 17. Yes, that's correct. So I, I started off at 17. So I was I was fresh out of school. It was my very first job I'd ever had. And I, like, you know, most 17 year olds, I'd never heard about insurance. I didn't know what, it, you know, how it existed as a concept, let alone a uh, an actual profession and a career journey. So yeah, I started off at, at 17 and I'm, I'm still here 11 years later. So how did that happen when you hadn't considered it? So it started off as a job. I needed a job. I'd finished school. I wasn't continuing my education. I needed any sort of job. And it just so happened to be insurance. I had no idea that I'd be able to forge a career in it, you know, an 11 year career or that there were so many benefits to staying in the insurance industry. Um, So I I started off in a call centre. It was a big personal lines call centre based out in Surrey. Um, we were placing business that was distressed motorists, and I was I was basically fielding calls all day long. So there wasn't so much uh, a technical element to it as it was more a sales element. Um, but I started that off. I did two years in there, and then I slowly moved my way around until eventually I'm, I'm here now as a development underwriter at Hiscops. So that was your first step in. I'm kind of visualizing you in a role there that maybe isn't the most exciting side of insurance. So if I'd spent that time doing that role, I might have been inclined to think, wow, insurance really isn't for me and kind of head off in another direction. So what in your experience allowed you to kind of go, wait, there's a there's a bit more to this. How do I kind of get in that direction? So I did about two years in personal lines and towards the end of the two years, I was thinking, OK, so what's next? I don't want to do this for the next 20 years of my life. I don't want to be fielding, you know, 20, 30, 40 calls a day. This isn't for me. So I started asking around. I started asking people in my firm, like, what else out, what is, what else is out there? And people started saying commercial insurance. I'm like, what is commercial insurance? And that was kind of the thing that sparked it inside of me to think, okay, there might be something more than this. There might be something more than a call centre environment. And that's when I started looking into the London market. I started looking into routes into the city and I started thinking about how can I actually do a role that I'm, I'm going to enjoy and I can continue enjoying for a long time. That sounds like you kind of discovered the dream. The transition <laughs> is never that easy. So how did you go about that? It's really not. It's really not. I think a big differentiator for me going from that um, call center environment where it's very transactional, you're uh, transacting, you know, commoditized lines of business into a commercial environment, which is a lot more advisory. The big differentiator for me was was CII qualifications. So my firm didn't tell me about CII qualifications. I found out about them through the grapevine um, and I sort of started looking into them. I did my certificate in insurance. So that showed me the fundamentals of insurance. It showed me the bare bones of commercial insurance, and it kind of set me up with that knowledge. So that's what I used to help me move into commercial insurance. I didn't have any experience in that area. They were taking a punt on me. But because I'd done my certificate in insurance and I could evidence that, okay, I have some familiarity with these concepts, they took a punt on me and uh, I moved across into commercial insurance. 
and I spent the next you know eight nine years there. When you said you you commenced your CII although they weren't kind of um, maybe forthcoming about encouraging people to do it were you self-funded or did you ask and then they funded it? So I asked and then they funded my certificate since then I've gone on to do my diploma and that one was fully self-funded so I paid for that myself. Excellent. Okay, this is a conversation in itself then. So, so I think lesson, lesson one there is quite often, I think people, especially early on in their careers, you want to be really amenable and agree with everything and, and not ask for much. I mean, I see myself, students paying for their CII revision through us. And I even see them sometimes we do a pain free. So it makes it more affordable. And, and then I can see they work in companies where I'm like, hang on, I know they would fund this. But I obviously can't kind of, you know, data protection, go go around the back for them. There must be a lot of people out there who are funding things for themselves when they don't need to. So what advice would you give people around that conversation? Always ask, always ask, just because it's not clear on your company internet or just because you haven't, you know, spoken with your head of learning and development or wasn't even aware there was a learning and development department doesn't mean that there isn't support out there for you. Always ask the question. Your first point of call needs to be your manager and see what is available there. It's always worth the conversation. Even prompting that conversation looks like that you're keen to get stuck into your role. It looks like that you're demonstrating you want to have a career in insurance as well. So you're going to look like a go-getter, you know, a bit of a self-starter. So, you know, have that conversation. Don't be afraid of, you know, reaching out and asking for help. So you've got that for the certificate. Massive help for you at that point. When you said you moved across, does that mean it was an internal move between so the organisation? So it was an external move. So I did, I went from one brokerage that was dealing with personal lines to another brokerage that was dealing with personal lines. I did three months in their personal lines department. And then I went, actually, I'd like to move across to your commercial team. And so they facilitated that move across because I'd already done my certificate, because I'd already got the, um, you know, the foundations of commercial knowledge. Um, they moved me across and they sort of invested into me and my training and allowed me to then become, you know, a commercial broker. Fantastic. And then it sounds like they wanted people to get to certificate level, but the diploma level was a, well, that's up to you environment, which is why you self-funded it? That's correct. So certificate, they would fund and they would encourage you to do that. For diploma level, it, it hadn't been done before. I was the first one in my firm to try the diploma. Um, and so it was a little bit out of their remit. So it was a case of either I can, I can self-fund it or I don't do it. And so I'm always thinking ahead, right? I'm forward thinking. I'm thinking, what's the next job that I want to do? Well, I want to be a commercial broker in a bigger firm and I want to have a specialty. Okay, how do I get there? Well, the only way I'm going to get there is to differentiate myself. How can I do that? My diploma. So for me, it, it made sense in my head. Um, and so that investment I saw as an investment into me, into me and my future. So I self-funded um, all of my diploma. And then, yeah, I used that to then move into another firm and specialize in construction. One thing that I know I was surprised by, I said this to you when we, we first spoke, and other people are surprised by, are essentially how long you've been working in insurance. Because you are so often talking about people coming in and your journey in, I think it kind of gives out this impression that that wasn't that long ago for you. But you're, you've actually been working for quite some time. Yeah, so I've been working in insurance now for 11 years, coming up to 12 years or so. Um, started at 17, I'm pushing 30 now. Um, that being said, I do have a focus on the new people coming in because I think it's so important to build for your future and how are we going to build for our future if we don't have the people there? There's a talent war going on right now. It's all about how do we bring people in? How do we keep them within our profession? So I am very focused on helping them as best as I can. And I think back to when I started when I was 17, 18, 19, and I think, wow, how much further could I have gone if I had had someone to ask them? How much further could I have gone if I had seen someone doing the jobs that I wanted to move into? So, yes, I'm very focused on the talent coming in. But no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not young anymore, unfortunately. I think lots of people would still say you are young. <laughs> <laughs> Just not early careers. No. So, <laughs> um, you're involved in this topic of conversation now, which is obviously one we, we both have a passion for. And through that, I, find, I think you find that there's a lot more initiatives out there than you necessarily knew before you kind of started looking for them and people start talking to you about them. So I guess before we go on to what, what we should be doing, what extra we can be doing, what do you think we're doing now that is a good starting point? So I think we have, I think 
I, I always like to go back to the CII as sort of in the middle, like the epicenter for all of this, just because they are so well established. Their name has so much weight in the market as well. And what they do is it's not just qualifications. It's also technical seminars. It's also uh, networking events. It's also socials. So for me, what the CII doing is great. Um, it's great to link in with them and, and see how you can sort of spread out. Um, I think the networks we have available across the market are great. I'm sure we'll speak about them a little bit later. Um, but I think there needs to be a much better job being done in actually signposting these things um, and telling people how you access them and that they, they do exist. So uh, let's go into that. What, what are your top recommendations? So people come to you all the time and say, like, how do I build a network? What are the best tips for my career and so on? What are the kind of go to tips that you're handing out to people? So first and foremost, when it comes to building your network, I mean, how's your LinkedIn looking? <laughs> LinkedIn is, is such a huge one for me. And it's not just a social network site where you announce your new job. No, it's all this untapped potential of networking with people that you might not have access to. So a lot of the events that I find out about, I find out about through LinkedIn. You know, people like to publicize their events and their networks and things that they're going to. Have a look at your LinkedIn. How's your LinkedIn looking? Is it up to date? Do you have a picture there or is it, you know, a blurry one that you've taken from your work Christmas party? How's your LinkedIn looking? That for me is, is sort of crucial because your LinkedIn is an extension of you. Then moving into actually tapping into what is available, tapping into the networks, tapping into people who might be able to help you out. That's for me is the second step that you can really do. Yeah, I, I, I kind of found this sort of vicious cycle when we look at networking, which is you need to have a network to find the networks. So we have all these groups and there, there is no place where you can find them all. There are lots of people who have tried to create a place. You know, mm. I have a PDF document that, that we send out and, and the LMA used to have a young professionals page. And, and there was an initiative, actually, one of the um, next gen project teams were looking at doing that themselves as well. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think we've ever got there yet. Uh, and it's it's so hard. I mean, I'm still discovering groups I, d I don't know of. Um, and also finding that ones I recommend are gone. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, so the way I started back in, gosh, it must have been 2017 that I really figured out the CII did events as well. The way that I started off was by starting to go to their young member events. They would do like a networking event a couple of times a year. And that was my first step into the city and, and seeing what city life was all about. Um, since then, I think a really good starting point is perhaps the Lloyd's networks. So you can look for them online. You've got all the networks within Lloyd's. I think there's about seven or eight. And those are all networks that will provide you with you know, potentially mentoring opportunities, development opportunities, events for you to go through. And I think that's a good starting point. But there are so many tiny niche ones that you don't even know about yet. I found one the other day, you know, the under 35s Marine and Power Group. It's like, what? That exists? And they do great things. I'd never heard of them before. So there are things out there, but you, you have to hunt down and, and find them. Ask people in your network, ask people where they're going. They might be able to give you recommendations I'm not able to give. Yeah. I'm going to reel off just a couple of ones you, you've mentioned there because everyone thinks, okay, where do I find those? Because the names of them can get quite muddled, a lot of them are acronyms. <laughs> so hmm. the, the the CII one you're mentioning is the um, YMC, which I, I like to refer to as the CII, IIL, YMC. <laughs> the CII, Insurance Institute of London Young Members Committee. <laughs> just the brilliant if we can get nine letters in they're short kind of. and snappy amazing <laughs> um then uh under 35 so we've got under 35s reinsurance um <laughs> under 35s marine and non-marine is a separate group we've got the lma um under 35 a lot of these say young professionals actually now we should say rather than under 35 so some of them have rebranded that um but the claims group within the lma there as well um and then engine is another Engine, yep. really key one to recommend pe to people in the early stages of their career. But then, as you say, the further up you get, the more specific they get. So, for example, there is a Kiwis in insurance group. Okay. That's, <laughs> my, that's, that's the most specific one I've, I've ever found. Um, I think they've got about 50 members. Okay. So, really? yeah, um, yeah, quite, quite a group there. Um, but once you find these groups, you'll start working out you know, where to go and also which ones you enjoy because they do all have I think a different vibe is the way I would describe it. Like some of them are a lot more formal. Some of them are more informal, more structured, mm -hmm. less structured. Lots of people go, fewer people go. So there's no kind of view of like, oh, I, I like networking or I don't. It's like, well, work out what you like about networking and then work out which group creates the environment that you're most likely to enjoy. 
that's great advice. Yeah, that's great advice. What do you most enjoy? What do I most enjoy? Ooh, I do like a, um, a networking opportunity that comes after a seminar. So for me personally, I find it a lot easier to start talking to people if there's a subject matter to talk about. So you've got a speaker up there, the speaker's done their bit, they've come down, you've started the networking. My first port of call is, is nine times out of 10, I go straight to the speaker. I go straight to the speaker and I say, hey, I love what you spoke about. Here's one thing that I want to talk to you about. And naturally, people will start gravitating towards you. You're speaking to the speaker. And from there, you can break off and actually start networking. So that's what I find the most easiest way, like the easiest way to network. Sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating going up to a group of people and trying to start a conversation about nothing. So I like to go to technical seminars, followed by networking. That's my that's my thing. I like that tip, go up to the speaker. I'm going to have to add that to my list. It's a really good one. I guess you'd also encourage people to sit at the front then with that same mindset. Absolutely. Sit at the front, ask questions. Even if you didn't have any questions, think about what they're saying and make one up. You know, it's it's having that interaction. It's being there. It's being present. And it makes it so much easier when you get out on the floor and, oh, my gosh, there's 50 people in front of me. And who do I speak to first? What do I talk about? Go up to the speaker, speak to the speaker and break off from there. It makes it so much easier. Yeah. And I must say, as a speaker, you are more likely to notice and therefore like recognize the people who sat at the front. And it's really disheartening when people don't sit at the front. It happens so often. People will start kind of in the middle and then think, oh, no, I don't want to go at the front. So I'll go at the back. So they start going all the way to the back. And then the front row, sometimes the front two rows are empty, you know, as though either you've got bad breath or, or you're literally going to like ask them to come up on the stage, um, which actually I did do at the YMC, didn't I? But to someone I knew, so I knew it would be okay. Um, but, uh, but I think kind of avoiding those front rows is a little bit of a missed opportunity because that way the speaker at the end also wants to talk to people. Mm. So if there's people at the front who's nodding, smiling, having eye contact, showing you that fuse all, all the way through, then actually they're looking for easy people to go up and approach as well. So you're kind of putting yourself in that position. I completely agree. And I have to say, as a speaker, there's nothing more disheartening getting to the end of your talk and no one asks any questions. Mm. Be that one person that puts your hand up it can be a little scary, but it's it's not any more scary than starting a conversation with someone you don't know. Put your hand up, mention something. It doesn't even have to be a question. It can be something you've noticed, uh, you know, like amusing. Um, pop your hand up, say something, grab their attention. It'll benefit you later on. Absolutely. If we look at um, your journey with exposure, right? So, yeah. well, you mentioned LinkedIn and I mentioned how you kind of sort of came onto the LinkedIn scene with a bit of a bang a little while ago. How did that come about? So how did you first start posting and then notice, I guess, how important it was? So I think when it comes to LinkedIn, you do need to drill down into what am I trying to achieve here? So when I first started on LinkedIn, it must have been 2017, 2018. And I first started on LinkedIn to try and capture more clients. I was working as a broker at the time. Um, I was working in the construction industry. And it was a perfect opportunity to try and capture clients off of LinkedIn, convert them into actual policies. So a lot of the stuff that I was posting back then were aimed towards them. So things that could benefit them in terms of risk management on the site, things that could benefit them in terms of explaining how these policies work. That's how I initially got into LinkedIn. After I left construction, it was more, how do I get ahead? How do I get ahead in my career? Well, there's no point in me posting technical articles anymore because that's not what I, who I'm trying to... Uh, capture. I'm not trying to get new leads in anymore. I'm trying to further myself. So that's when my LinkedIn content started changing. And it's probably only been about maybe a year, nine months that I've been consistently posting and engaging on LinkedIn. And it has done wonders for my career. It has done wonders for the sorts of opportunities that come my way. Um, so that's my journey through LinkedIn. And I guess the biggest challenge people have when they're posting on LinkedIn, and I think people are often not keen to admit this, um, is that they're scared of LinkedIn, right? That's the main reason people post. People will often say things like, oh, you know, I don't want to say anything that'll upset my company, or I don't want to look like I'm looking for a job. And those are kind of, you know, yeah, okay, that could happen, but it really doesn't necessarily happen. I say, especially if you post consistently, you're not going to look like you're looking for a job. If you suddenly start posting, yeah, it might do, but continue with it. It's not going to look like that anymore. And also the people that get controversy on LinkedIn, I think they're the ones that put people off. They do it deliberately. They are on there deliberately making content that people are going to argue with in order to get more comments, to get more views. And if you have a look, they're usually 
people that work in marketing or something that is very much lead generated like recruitment where they're really keen to get all of those views it's not people who work in insurance who are writing something about their career that kicks off and starts some kind of I guess controversy so from your sort of starting point did you feel that same fear and then um if so how do you overcome it yeah I was terrified I was absolutely terrified um but why why do we have this fear of putting ourselves out there all LinkedIn is is another extension of you every conversation that you have you know next to the water cooler or or at the coffee machine that's all you're doing you're taking those conversations and you're putting them on a platform yeah maybe a few more people can see them and hear them but isn't that the point of it (laughs) so I absolutely did have that fear when I first started out using LinkedIn um don't throw yourself in at the deep end start small look for posts that people have already created. They've taken away all the legwork for you. They've created a post and engage in that conversation. Comment underneath of it. You know, if you've got mm-hmm. something to say, put it on a comment. It's not as scary as putting it on your own page, but it will sort of give you that, that first step into, into LinkedIn and feeling more comfortable till eventually you're ready to post, you know, on your own page. Um, I mean, have a look at the posts that I've been making. I don't say anything controversial. I don't say anything that could be misconstrued the wrong way. I'm posting about what's going on. I'm posting about things that I'm involved in, things that I'm wanting to get involved in, things that are happening in our industry. It's not scary. It doesn't have to be controversial. It's just an extension of you. Do you ever doubt yourself before you post anymore? I have I have posts with hundreds and hundreds of likes and I have posts that have three likes. So there is always that fear of no one's going to engage with this. No one's going to care. But realistically who's looking at your LinkedIn page and monitoring how many likes you've had who's looking at whether someone's commented or not they're not looking at that this is an extension of you you're not doing this for external validation you're doing it so you can amplify your platform and put yourself out there I sometimes do get a little bit of self-doubt I push through I, I haven't deleted the posts I have two or three likes why would I that's my life that's that's me that I've put out there we just got to keep on pushing through I'm so sorry, Yasmin. I've got a uh, guest who's just walked in. I need to. Uh... Uh, hello. <laughs> and no one knows that she's just left the house. How adorable. <laughs> What's her name? This is Grace. You say hello. I think she's just woken up as well. Hi, Grace. You look like you've hello. had a lovely nap. Oh, she can't hear you. I've got my headphones in. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Maybe go inside and um, ask Granddad if he can give you an ice lolly. <laughs> right anyway we were where we were talking about fear of posting yeah and then putting things on yeah okay um so actually the post because I did a post quite quite recently that I really debated putting on which was the one about going to New York and the reason I debated it is because absolute thing that you know we always talk about particularly in women with presence that kind of celebrating success but getting the balance between celebrating and success and going hey, look at what I'm doing, you know, and I was so like, I was so excited to be there, I was so proud of doing that, but I really did doubt myself, I was like, ah, oh, is this going to come off right, and then again, it's one of the best posts that's actually ever gone, and it was so lovely to see people commenting that I haven't spoken to for literally years, who saying like, oh, I've been watching, and you know, good for you, I'm so pleased for you, and so on, like, so the fear that was there was completely unrealistic compared to the reality of actually people being like, this is exactly what we want to see on LinkedIn you know you want good news stories you want to see what else is going on out there and um, and people you know generally like you'll have a lot of connections that care about you they want to see that success mm, I completely agree I completely agree um I think when it comes to posting successes I think you can kind of split it into into two things one are you only posting about your successes no one wants to see that if you're only posting about your successes that's going to make people feel bad about themselves. You're going to look, you're going to look like you're boasting. Are you also posting about difficult things that you've encountered? Um, things that you you failed on, things that you struggle with? If so, that's fine. That's a true reflection of you. If you're only posting about your successes, it's it's going to come off in the wrong way. So that's that's one part of it. Um, the second part of it, absolutely do post about your successes. People aren't going to know about the good things that you're doing if you don't tell them. How are people going to know? We're working in this hybrid working world now where you might not, not necessarily be in the same room as your manager. How are they going to see the things that you're doing? Um, and that kind of feeds into the exposure piece. Exposure can absolutely benefit you in your career. You're not going to get promoted just by cracking on with your work, quietly getting on with it, doing a good job. That's not enough anymore. You have to kind of peek your head above and show people what you're doing. 
Um, so yeah, my advice is like, don't let it hold you back. Please do post about the good things. Make sure you're also posting about the things that you might struggle with or things that you find tricky as well. So someone was saying to me the other day, actually, they were asking me um, for some advice and they were using you as the person where they were like, oh, like, like what Yasmin does. And they were saying basically about how you get on panels, how you get opportunities to speak and all of those types of things. And no, my advice is that of Steve Jobs. You can only connect the dots when you look back. So people early on in their career are thinking, well, I want to speak there. So I need to go to this event, talk to that person. So it just doesn't work like that, right? But now you've had so many of these like brilliant opportunities. As you start piecing them back, where would you say they're coming from? So all the ones that have come up recently, I haven't actually had to ask for, which is a surprising thing, because I do say you should go out there and ask for opportunities. I haven't asked for any of these opportunities. They have come about simply by me having a consistent presence and putting out there that I am interested in these areas. Um, so I think that's a, a good way of putting it, actually, when I when I try and think about how has this actually come about? It, it doesn't happen overnight. It slowly builds. So I've been posting for only about a year about my experiences in insurance. And within that year, I've had panel talk opportunities. I've had uh, the opportunity to be filmed for Insure TV. I've had the opportunity to give a talk, the opportunity to lead things. None of that would have been possible if I didn't have a presence on LinkedIn first and foremost. Um, and it's not just LinkedIn anymore. It's also your presence in the market. Yes, we are a huge industry in the square mile, but we're also a very tiny market. If I speak to someone right now and I mention your name, I, I bet you they have an opinion. I'll be like, yeah, Samantha, of course I know Samantha. That's how tiny we are. People talk. So how are you presenting yourself? How do people perceive you? It's not just on what you put on LinkedIn. It's also in the meetings that you have with your brokers and your underwriters and your managers. Uh, it's the events that you go to. It's the talks that you get involved in. All of those things make you, and that's what's going to give you opportunities. And a lot of this journey, a lot of your timeline there, as you're saying, kind of nine to 12 months, that kind of goes parallel with your new gen projects and work. Is that a coincidence? No, it's a fact. It's a fact. So I was part of the uh, new generation program, which is the CII's uh, flagship talent program. And the, the whole point of this program is you get involved for a year, you work together with nine other peers on a project that you think could help the profession and you get these development opportunities as well. Amazing. You can do just the program. You can finish the program. You can put it on your CV. You can continue on with your career. Or you can see it as an opportunity to create more opportunities for you. So going back to the CII, like who they are and what they stand for, they are such a well-established name in our profession. Their name has so much weight and gravitas that you can use that to open doors that might have been closed for you before. So as soon as I started doing the new generation program, I suddenly found that People were approaching me to talk about it and they'd say, well, also, I have this thing going on. Would you like to be involved in it? Oh, I saw that you're on the new generation program. Uh, I have this panel talk happening soon. Do you, would you like to come and get involved? So having that name behind my name sort of gave me a little bit more validity. And that's really helped me push forward in, in my career and, and obviously all these other things that I'm doing outside of my job. And the project that you worked on in that is something that you're talking about a lot. So a lot of what you're posts and conversations and topics are about. So do you want to introduce us to that topic? <laughs> so we actually just very recently published our report, which I, I co-authored with the other people within my, um, within my cohort. Um, and it's on mandatory qualifications for insurance brokers. And I know that sounds very scary because I'm using the word mandatory, but all it would be doing is, is bringing qualifications in and recognizing that, okay, we are not just an industry that um, we're not just transacting business over the phone or online. It's more than that. Brokers are actually professional, skilled, highly skilled advisors. And I think to be a profession, to be a skilled advisor, you do need to have a qualification framework in place. Now I would love for each and every firm and people in these firms to all have the same opportunities that I had um, in doing my qualifications and pushing forward. I don't want people to have to fund qualifications for themselves. I don't want them to struggle thinking, who do I need to ask uh, to have help? How do I push forward in my career? I want qualifications to be the baseline. This is the starting point to your career. You're building a baseline of technical knowledge and everything will kind of come from there. So it's, it's something I, I believe in. I'm very passionate about having qualifications for all insurance brokers and indeed, you know, across the profession as a whole. Um, and I'm excited to see how, how our project will push forward. It's, and it's got traction. 
right? That's Oh, yeah. I must say, you know, I've, I've seen part of kind of conversations around a few projects since the new generation started. I think this is the one that sort of seems to have had the most noise around it, you know, which I think is brilliant when we look at it as a coming back from that programme. Do you think, I guess, what's going to happen with the noise? Yeah. How confident yeah. are you that it's not going to be just noise? So I think me and um, a couple of the members of the group do feel very passionately about the project that we produce. We don't want it to be, we've put this report out there and then that's it. So we're, we're talking about maybe we would like to push this project forward. We would like to keep in contact with the CII. We would maybe like to lobby the regulator to actually getting this put in action. And it's not going to happen overnight. You know, tomorrow <laughs> tomorrow evening, they're not going to say, right, everyone has to be ACI qualified. That, that's not the case. So there's, there's so much work that has to be done before we get to that point. Like how feasible is it for brokers? Is there support in place? How are they going to fund it? Is it accessible? Um, so I think it's being part of those conversations and making sure those conversations continue to happen. Um, so there is work to be done. It is still in my mind and it's on my desk. Um, and hopefully we can we can push forward with it. Um, like you mentioned, there was a lot of conversation that happened after we published. So we, we were reported in quite a few industry magazines. And um, there was the panel talk show. The CII made a comment as well. So I'm hoping it looks positive. I'm hoping that this will be something we see put into action. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, maybe in the next five years or so. We'll have to see more work to be done. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan behind it. Well, I mean, I guess my my complete point of view would be I wish we didn't have to have it as mandatory because I wish it was culturally normal and yeah. culturally um, aspirational. And I, um, as you mentioned in your Insurer TV, it really depends on the organisation you work for. And there are some organisations I work with um, who actually have it as mandatory within your probation. They don't really care how much experience you're coming in with. You're at least doing one module, if not um, two modules, and if not three, depending on the role that you're doing. Because, and I guess the argument there is, well, if you have been working for 15 years, doing your LM1 exam, which is a lot to do with jargon, isn't going to take too much revision it's a bit of an annoyance absolutely to go and sit in an exam but you don't probably have to spend 40 hours revising because you've probably got most of the learning objectives covered through those years of experience which is exactly the argument of well I don't need to do it because I've got the experience it's like well, because you've got the experience maybe just have a go at it and see that you pass anyway and it actually would only take you an hour of your life so save you more time in the conversations potentially yeah. but you know that's that's one end of the scale of course we work across the industry with different companies and see all different levels of appetite for this there's others who um, say that they encourage it and pay for it but unless you've really got somebody in your department who's directing you and what to do and sort of chasing you along you don't get that feeling from the outside and I think that's probably the majority of the case as we look around the market like yeah of course of course people can do it yeah of course there's a page on our intranet and and then they can just put the form into their manager, but their manager hasn't got it. And then the person that's been there 10 years that's supported them hasn't got it. So there's not much encouragement to have it. Uh, yeah, and I think that's too often the case. There are thousands of people sitting this every year. You know, it, mm. it is a very high uptake. I just I just wish it wasn't a conversation. It wasn't like, a, oh, should I do it? Where should I stop? It's like, mm. I was in HR when I sat mine. Um, and the reason I sat them initially was, to be honest with you, I made a couple of mistakes when I was booking people on the exams. And they were like an IF, a LM. I, I wanted, uh, they wanted, um, uh, coursework was an add-on at that time. Um, and, and I was like, I don't really know what I'm ordering. What's a key facts book? What's a, you know? So I thought, I'm just going to do a couple of exams so I can sit in their shoes and know what they're asking me for and have a better picture. So I did a couple and I was like, oh this is interesting okay like I kind of feel like I know a lot more that can help me in my job so let me do a couple more and then I sort of I got a um, HR degree so I had some exemptions I was like oh I've only really got to do two more and then I'll have my dip why would I not do two more and then I got my dip and I'm like why would I stop at my dip when I can like that that was okay I can keep going and then I had my ACII and then um and I think actually it was you know for me individually one of the specific things that have helped helped me in my career my whole direction there is no way I would have ever set this business up if I hadn't done that because if I hadn't done that 
I wouldn't have had so many people coming to talk to me about their training. I, I wasn't a training person. I was a HR person who had done their exams. So they start talking to me. So I start understanding what it's like for them, start doing bits and pieces of training and so on. And then all of a sudden realize that's what I'm interested in and then went for it. And there's absolutely no way that I could specialize in insurance as a HR person without it. Because it's given me such sort of better insight and I can have conversations and ask questions, you know, knowing what I don't know. So if someone says something, I'm like, hold on, I don't understand that. I understand enough to know that I don't understand that. So let me ask the question. Whereas if I didn't understand any of it, I'd just smile and nod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but do you know what? That's a perfect example, isn't it? You're, you're someone who set themselves up for success. You didn't need to do it. <laughs> you didn't need to do these exams, but you realised if I do them, I can make myself better at my job. And now look what's happened. It snowballed and now you have this amazing company where you can help other people. That wouldn't have happened if you hadn't gone through the exams. Same for me, you know, no one was paying for my diploma. I decided I was going to make that investment into myself, into my future career. And I think I think I've done pretty well for myself so far. But that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been a self-starter back then. Now, I, I don't want that to be the case. I want everyone to have done their exams. I want everyone to have got that sort of knowledge, that technical knowledge and, and competency that I got from my exams. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's discretionary at the moment. I would absolutely urge people to get involved please do get involved, especially at the beginning of your career. Focus on your learning and development because it's going to set you up for success later on. So that's individuals. What, what about at a company level? If there's HR people listening to this, what, what can they do? Having a sort of understanding of what the exams are is definitely beneficial. And I'm not saying everyone needs to go out there and be like Sam and, and get to ACII. You know, you're, I think you're, you're a special case, one in a hundred. Um, that being said, I think there is benefit to understanding the basics of insurance and the different roles in insurance. Um, when it comes to actually the culture of the company, yes, at the moment, there is a discretionary culture when it comes to qualifications. You've, you've already touched on it previously, um, but, you know, have those sorts of active conversations reach out to managers of departments hey i can see you've got x amount of people in your department who have only started in the insurance industry three years ago well let's talk about their cii qualifications reach out to those individuals i don't think people in hr or maybe even managers understand how powerful it is to reach out and say hey how are you doing is there anything i can do to help my gosh there's, there's so much power in that um take that first step have that brave conversation help people along the way they're only going to benefit from it yeah I just, you made me think as you said that in terms of how helpful it is to, to reach out to somebody because I can remember one particular conversation I had there's an organization absolutely want more people to have it offer them absolutely everything if they want to take it but because not many people have done it they kind of it's almost like you know that culture where nobody takes their holiday so you shouldn't feel like you shouldn't mm. take your holiday it feels a bit like that they're mm-hmm. saying, no, 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 go take it. It's like, well, no one else has done it though. So should I should I ask for them to pay for this? Should I ask for mm-hmm. my study days? Because no one else is doing it. And I think a lot of that is leading by example and also just not leaving it to them. So in this particular situation, I'd had a conversation with a couple of people. The HR person had um, sort of said, get them to just email me and then we set them up. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we want to do it. I'm like, great. So you just need to email this person and then you'll be set up. And they didn't email the person and I think there must be a level of fear there to be like, oh, but I, I don't really know if they really mean it or if I really should. You know, so even if it was the other way around and it was like, well, then you email them and say, so are we going to do this? Then the answer would probably be yes. But as soon as it's kind of those first steps, like getting people like off the ground, I think needs to be really spoon fed so that there's no uncertainty or opportunity for people to kind of let their fear create excuses for them to not get started yeah and we shouldn't be relying on people to be a self-starter okay we should be saying as a company I'm going to use you know as an individual company we want the best of the best how do you get the best of the best you've got to invest into them you've got to train them you've got to you know fully immerse them in the company and so that first conversation of HR or, or management or line manager reaching out and saying hey how can I help you there is so much power in that. Um, and I think the CII play a huge part in it, investing in your staff, taking away that fear um, and setting them up for success, not just for the individual, but for your business as well. Yeah, yeah. And I guess there used to be a lot more pre-pandemic. There used to be a lot more collaboration. Like you'd just walk around, you'd see the books on people's desks. Oh, you're doing that one too. Oh, like let's have a sort of chat, chat over lunch about it or whatever. And now everyone's sort of studying at home. You think you're the only one studying? Yeah. And then therefore you probably go at a slower pace than you would if you were trying to keep up with your mates in the office or 
you're not too bothered about putting it down and and then not worrying about it until the deadline comes around because there's no one sort of um, chasing your tail with it a little bit people are a little bit more anonymous in their journey yeah yeah and it makes it a little bit harder doesn't it reaching out and asking for help because you're right you're not seeing them in the office how do you reach out for help it can be a bit intimidating um reaching out on teams and calling them out the blue when you haven't seen them in three months or so um so it does make it a little bit more tricky but that's no reason not to start that conversation now you know help your employees along help your staff along um let's do this together let's make it great so um, two more things. Earlier on in this conversation, we were talking about um, initiatives and people coming into the market. And there's um, an initiative that popped up on my LinkedIn. Absolutely no doubt, actually, probably because you commented on something. And then I was like, oh, what's that? <laughs> Looking back at it. Um, but it is an initiative that looks really quite interesting and really quite relevant. But I don't really feel like it's on the radar so much. So I kind of want to give it a bit of a spotlight in this conversation. And that's the work that Hugo is doing. So do you want to talk to us about that? Yeah, of course. I mean, this is very similar to you. I was on LinkedIn one day and it just popped up on my feed. Um, and it's it's a social enterprise called Startup Sherpas. And what they're doing, I think, it, I think it's fab. I honestly do think it's fab. Um, they take these teens in, they put them on paid work experience, and they work on innovation within insurance. Now, when, I, when I'm saying that, I know it's a bit of a vague uh, subject, but they're working on actually designing innovative insurance products for risks of the future so they're things I I would not have thought of in a million years so insuring Fortnite skins do you know what that is because I didn't I didn't when it came out um usage-based insurance products that will benefit people of the future and these are things that I would not have thought of myself as a millennial but these guys these are this is gen alpha this is gen z they're thinking of how do we actually incorporate this for the future so yeah it popped up on my feed one day um, I had a bit of a closer look and I think it's amazing what they're doing. I'm surprised they don't have, you know, a much bigger platform um, because it's something that insurers should really get behind because you're not just thinking about the risks of today. They're not always going to be tangible. Uh, we need to be thinking about the risks of the future. And I think it's great what they're doing. The first thing I saw of theirs was the video that they made about uh, oh interviewing people. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't say I wasn't surprised by any of the comments. Essentially, they're interviewing all these young people about what they think of insurance, whether they want to work in it. But when you hear the comments over and over, back to back and back, it's just it just cuts a bit deep after every one. You're like, oh, <laughs> stop now! Um, and it was really effective, yeah. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, we know that people call it boring, but um, but at the same time, you know, there were certain things that people were saying. I was like, that's not even true. It's not it's like that's not true. <laughs> no. Um, so every one of them said, you know oh, well, I don't really feel like it's a career where you can earn much money. And I was like, we've got to stop being so modest. <laughs> Everyone thinks, oh, I want to earn money and I want to work in finance. Well, I have to go into banking. So there's no alternative, you know. And um, It's not oh, the case. Look, do yeah. you want to do the banking hours? Because the one good, th- not the one good thing, but one of the strongest things about having a career in insurance is we do actually have a work-life balance, which means eventually we can go home and we can close the laptop and we don't have to be constantly focusing on work. Do you want to do an 80-hour week? Maybe then banking's for you. If you want an actual work-life balance and you want a healthy salary, insurance is great. Um, it's another misconception that insurance is you know, very stale, um, there's nothing creative about it. And that's something that these startup Sherpas were talking about. They're going, oh, I don't know. I'm a creative person. I don't think insurance is for me. And I'm screaming. I'm like, I'm a creative. I'm a creative. And I love insurance. Every day there is something new. There is something to get involved in. There is something for everyone in this profession, but we're not doing a good job at talking about it. Uh, that's why I kind of love what startup Sherpas are doing. They're getting them to think outside of the box risks of the future um, and I think they've actually got a report that they're planning to publish I think at the end of this year or, or sometime next year and they've got some pretty big insurer names sponsoring the report so please you know, go check them out it's so intriguing what they're doing and I think it's going to become even more relevant um, 10 20 30 years from now uh, and speaking of getting in in the modern way welcome to TikTok good to be here <laughs> so you've recently joined the, the tiktok army that i'm confident we're going to create in, in insurance um how did that start and how are you finding it it was you sam it was you i saw you posting tiktoks i'm thinking okay i'm gonna have to go have a look here um and look i was thinking the same way that i'm sure a lot of people are thinking it's a dancing app i'm thinking i'm not going to do any dancing 
It's not a dancing app. I was behind the times. Everyone who thinks that is behind the times. It is this huge database of people who are really engaged in the app. Uh, this huge untapped market. We're talking about talent issues and how do we bring them in? Well, stop. Do you have a TikTok presence yet? Are you on TikTok? Because there's all sorts going on there. Um, and I know that you've had a few success stories that have come off the back of, um, of TikTok, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's, there's those that I know of. There are so many more that I don't, um, which, you know, I'm, oh, I, I, I want to be able to work out a way of tracking this. I am trying to say to people, tell them you found out about it on TikTok in your interview, because, um, you know, there'll be a lot of people who, well, I guess the journey that we do, right? So the, the journey that kind of established, I used to sort of, there was a bit of a frustration I had when I was um, sort of recruiting graduates and, and school leavers in the sense that we have loads of great stuff on the website, but they're not looking at our websites. So like, can we just stop putting like really good stories on our websites and assuming they're going to find it? How do we get them there? And they, that, that used to be kind of career talks and, and so on. And I never found, you know, um, that Milk Ground, University Talks and so on. I tried all those and I did a lot of them with the CII. I would go down, travel down and do all these talks. And I just never found a good, good sort of return on time because mm. hardly anyone would turn up because they're not interested in insurance. And if they did, you know, they, they were kind of probably the people that would turn up to everything. Mm. You know, so you, you weren't really necessarily getting a really kind of captivated audience. Um, uh, so it just seemed like quite a clunky way of doing it. And London Insurance Life, um, so I talked with Teresa when that was first set up and, mm. and, um, and that's a lot of, you know, what, what their goal was in terms of sort of having it on Instagram to, to capture people. But then what we tend to see is that it's mostly people that work in insurance that are following mm. those pages and then recommended it to their friends and family, which is brilliant, first step. But friends and family doesn't increase the pool, doesn't increase diversity quick enough. It will over time because as you get diversity, you get that diversity of friends and family bit by bit, but it's not quick enough. Um, so TikTok was a like, complete accident, by the way. I was... <laughs> I was just locked down playing around with it. But when I realized the impact, you know, quite quickly, I just did a video really casually late at night um, in my kitchen and it got half a million views. I'm like, what? Like, how's that? How, how have I just spoken? And it was about writing your CV and graduate recruitment. So all of these grads were asking me questions. I'm like, I've just found more grads than I've probably ever got in the last 10 years through a, like a, a 50 second video. How was yeah. that even possible? And um, so, you know, what I, what I like now is I go out and sort of do grad inductions and so on. And people that I sort of might recognize through their names, through their messages, because sometimes they message me through LinkedIn afterwards and we kind of talk through there. They say, no, no, oh, yeah, nice to meet you. So you're on TikTok. But then the more exciting ones sometimes are the people that go, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I saw it on TikTok. I just never spoken. I'm like, oh, there's a group of people here that I don't even know. So I'm really, yeah, it, it's having such an impact but I'm just one account really um so brilliant you're there now we've got underwriting Thomas on there now um so you know we can get get a good few people then also if you're hashtagging the same things that I'm because it's not that many hashtag insurance posts coming up yeah so if you hashtag insurance my followers are going to see your post and then it ends up kind of circling round, and we can have a massive impact without you know all of the sort of I guess the time and resources that we've been putting into what I think is quite a stale approach. It really is because we're, we're not trying to capture incoming millennial talent anymore. We, we've been phased out. We're too old now. We're trying to capture Gen Z and in a couple of years, we're going to be trying to capture Gen Alpha. And they're definitely not on Facebook. They're not even on Instagram. <laughs> they're on TikTok. Um, and so there's this huge platform, this huge a market of people, untapped talent, and we should be trying to bring in as many of them as possible. Because how many people do you know who work in insurance or are an insurance company that are on TikTok? Like really and truly, so I, can't, I can't really think of any. And you, know, you don't even have to put a lot of thought into it. So the things that go viral, the things that really smart conversations, they can be so inane. My most viewed video is me using the ice cream machine in a BMS group. It's a good video. It's a, it's a five second video, me literally using the ice cream machine and it got like 10,000 views. It's ridiculous. 10,000 people have seen that video. And that's me being on TikTok for a couple of weeks and having 50 followers. Now imagine what it could be in a year or so. I mean, you're doing phenomenally well. Um, I mean, a great example is obviously, it's Frank, isn't it? 
oh it's it, absolutely brilliant so we met that's how we met mm. so Francesca and I met on TikTok um and she, I, I was doing posts about CVs and insurance and so on she sent me a message saying hey yeah I'd love like love it if you could review my CV I was doing CV reviews and so she sent me a CV gave us some tips on it and um, we connected and then she was sort of looking for a job and then it was actually Kimberly right so Kimberly mm. who you first met you, you when you did your first YMC event so Kimberly, oh, Kimberly Hallam, right? so, yes I yeah. do so Kimberly um was to asking you know she, she had she had an entry job so I said oh yeah I'll pass it on to all the people that have asked me recently so that's how she ended up sort of in that job literally directly from TikTok to my yeah. inbox Kimberly comes into my inbox like so many managers do and just say hey do you know anyone and absolutely I just share everything with everyone and yeah. then they pair together and then they come in and Francesca, the reason she stayed in my mind is, is she was messaging me is because she posts on TikTok mm. and she does some brilliant posts. The, the bag of food that you can get at the end of the day from the, the bakers for like 50p in it. Oh, like, yeah. What's the food in it? She posts about that all the time and um, lots of things around her kind of her life. She's more like a lifestyle page, mm. uh, but she's been consistent on it. She has consistently shown up on TikTok since I've known her and I've dipped in and out. She's always been there. And then um, in the last kind of couple of months, her following's gone up. She's on about 26,000, 27,000, yeah. I reckon now. Chunky. You know, so brilliant. Like she's got this audience and they're an audience of people who are essentially thinking, I, I like your life. Mm. I'd like I'd like it, right? I want to look at your life because I want to get ideas from it and so on. So she's posted a lot about working in the city and then people in the comments saying like, hey, how do you do that? And then she tags yeah. people and says, go and speak to Sam and so on. And so she she's really, I think now... Um, going to be a great example of someone who you know because I'm I'm there kind of giving the advice I'm not the relatable person I'm, I'm much older than you even and you said you're not young anymore um so I'm not the relatable person on, on TikTok you know really we need the relatable people the people who are in their first job talking about the experience of that people like you that get really exciting opportunities talking about um, how you get them and how, how fun they are behind the scenes all that kind of stuff and then you'll get more young people following it thinking this is actually a lot more interesting than mm. I thought. And then at that point, if they want to come to me and then I'm like, yeah, these are the jobs. This is where we, you know, where you can find them and all that kind of stuff. Then we've literally got a whole trail in there. But it, but I, I think we've got so much opportunity and, and people need to have just the blessing. Like you don't even need to say what company you work for, but just mm. say you work in insurance, like put it out there, brag about our amazing offices, brag about our amazing like networking, summer parties, all the fun stuff we get to yes. do and the travel. Like, let's talk about it. Yes. people want that absolutely and I think another thing you, you mentioned about the blessing I mean getting the blessing from your company to actually go out there and post is a huge thing I get lots of people ask me so are Hiscox okay with you posting on LinkedIn what do you mean are they okay of course they are they encourage it it's one of the first things I spoke about in, in my interviews with Hiscox it's getting out there it's pushing the brand out it's talking about not just your company but the wider profession as well how else are we going to capture talent and bring them in it's a huge issue right now. Let's talk about it. These are great ways of, of starting those conversations. So yes, TikTok is one of them. I know some people are probably rolling their eyes right now, but we've just heard a, a perfect example of a success story with Francesca from TikTok into a job in the insurance market. That's one person we've managed to bring in. Now imagine if there were like 10, 20, 30 people on TikTok pushing out the agenda, talking about insurance. How much more talent would we be able to bring in? So it's, it's this huge untapped opportunity and companies really do need to go and grab it. You know, get out there, encourage your staff, push your staff up, tell your staff they're, they're okay to do it and you give them your blessing. And I think we'll see more talent coming in. So it's just made me think as you're saying that question back back on you and your posting. Do you, um, do you post on Twitter or anything else? No, I don't. So I only use um, LinkedIn and I've yeah. started to use TikTok. Now, the, the, obviously, the things that I post on LinkedIn and the things I post on TikTok are very different. They're different platforms, and I'm trying to appeal towards a different subsect of people. I think it's really important to figure out who your market is before you start posting. Are you trying to capture more talent? Are you trying to look for a new job? Are you trying to push forward in your career? What are you trying to do? As soon as you figure out who your market is, you can begin to market to them. So what I post on LinkedIn, what I post on TikTok are two fundamentally different things. Yeah. Yeah, no, I absolutely have the same kind of because so there'll be some TikToks I've posted on LinkedIn. I, I don't know, I've probably done like a thousand TikToks by now. I've got no idea. Probably about five of them have made it on LinkedIn because I'm like, well, these ones actually might interest or like 
that they're going to get the joke. It's a ridiculous joke. It's very embarrassing, but at least they'll get the joke. Yeah. Like my awful one the other day. <laughs> Which one? The underwriter. The uh, how did we oh. come up with the name underwriter? My goodness. I'm like that might go well on LinkedIn. I might do that one day, <laughs> but it's just so embarrassing. Um, because I'm definitely not taking myself seriously as I do these things. But, but it's it's figuring out your it's figuring out your audience. You know that's actually going to be relatable to a lot of people who work in insurance already. But if we talk about um my BMS group ice cream video no one on LinkedIn wants to see that no who, who would that be appealing to yeah. TikTok might want to see that they've never seen such a beautiful office they've never seen an ice cream machine in an office canteen TikTok might want to see that my boss he doesn't want to see that stuff yeah he can get his own ice cream yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's good no because I'm not on Twitter, Twitter and I was, I was thinking the other day because Bieber just posted something and asked for our Twitter handle I was like oh yeah, I've got oh. one, but I, I literally haven't touched this for like three years. <laughs> like, no. Yeah, um, so I'm just kind of, I feel like, yeah, we probably, yeah, I, that's that's one way that I think I'm quite disjointed. I kind of need to appreciate that other people are on other platforms, but it's just kind of, it's hard to focus on, on too many. Can't do them all. You can't do them all. Imagine if we had all the platforms and it's just one woman trying to do all these things. It's not going to work. And that's why it really does need to be like a group effort. <laughs> there have to be more people involved in it, pushing out the agenda, talking about insurance, getting people in. Hopefully that's what we'll see in the next couple of years. I'm, I'm hoping this talk would inspire a couple of people to start, you know, using their LinkedIn's, posting more, maybe checking out Twitter and seeing what it's all about. I, I would love for that to happen. So you said earlier in this episode, you are always looking forward. Yes. So let's look forward. Let's say like five years from now, what would you like to see different in our industry? So I think in terms of myself, I think where, where I'm at in my career, where I'm at in my life right now, there are obviously things that we can improve on, right? I would love to be more involved in driving the conversation forward. I think you can only drive the conversation forward when you are in a position of power, right? So that might mean being more involved in society boards, being more involved in the CII, being further up the food chain in your company. So when I'm looking forward in the next five years, I'm seeing myself move into those sorts of roles so I can change things around me. There are absolutely things we can improve on. Insurance is a great place to work, but why don't we want to make it even better? So I'd love to improve on the diversity across our profession. I'd love to see us bring in younger talent younger talent so we can reach out to a younger audience as well I'd love to see more opportunities for diverse talent as well um, and I always 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 would love to see more women in insurance some sectors of insurance are still very much so male dominated um, and that's not because they don't want women within their sector it's because women aren't applying or women aren't going forward for them let's change that so that's where I see myself in the next five years sort of maybe not leading the conversation, but really heavily involved in the conversation and, and changing things in our profession. And, and that does remind me, congratulations on being shortlisted for the <laughs> Women in Insurance Awards. Thank you so much. Honestly, amazing. Very, very chuffed with that. Very, very chuffed with that um, Insurance Women of the Year um, shortlisting. I think when we're talking about the exposure piece as well, okay, sometimes it can be a little bit embarrassing talking about your achievements, but get out there, <laughs> get out there and talk about it a little bit more. Because even off the back of that, I've had people reach out to me. Hey, do you want to get involved in this? Do you want to get involved in that? Yes, always. Let's talk about it. Um, so, yeah, I'm really proud of it. Very, very proud of it. And it's so lovely to be up there with all these other amazing women whose names I recognize for doing really great things. Yeah, really fantastic. It's amazing how small it, it starts getting when you get really proactive. You really do start seeing the same people over and over again. As exactly that exactly that but there's opportunity for more people to be oh, up yeah. there as well right let's see some new names like I know there are people out there who are doing amazing things but no one knows about them that's the problem that's why I use my LinkedIn it's an extension of me it's a bigger platform than just me talking with someone there needs to be more people in the conversation there's opportunity for people out there they just need to go and grab it yeah now you've given so much advice already However, we do always end this episode with a nugget of advice. So one of your top tips for people um, for career success. So um, as people come to you and they ask for advice, you can reiterate something you've already shared. Um, but what would you give as your top tip? My top tip is 
always ask the question. Always ask the question. I have been asking around for a mentor now for about 18 months and I've got a lot of no's, a lot of maybe, maybe in the future, a lot of I'm not sure if it's right for me, but I'm going to keep on asking that question. I'm still looking for a mentor. I'm not going to get disheartened. You've got to keep on asking, ask for help, ask for the opportunity, ask for advice, ask for the job. You've got to keep on asking. So my one piece of advice would be keep asking the question. Excellent. Very good. Hopefully I can maybe suggest some mentors for you as well, because we don't (laughs) need to be getting no's. Absolutely. We need that to be yeses. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Yasmin. Um, I'm I'm loving this episode. It's, um, It's nice to talk about so many things that we've got such similar views on um I feel like we're running parallel towards a lot of the same same goals in the market and making as much noise as we can along the yeah. way so it's nice to be able to collaborate on this together um and if anyone wants to get in touch absolutely we're going to link your LinkedIn um, and I'd encourage you to because you know she's going to reply to you because that's exactly what she does <laughs> um, and we'll also link in some of the networking groups in the notes to this one as well that we've mentioned so hopefully people can go on and take some of that action into practice too amazing well thank you so much for having me today it's been yeah a real pleasure to talk about these things real good fun mm-hmm.